0: So good to be with you and to be gathered and worshiping and gathered around the Lord's table. Uh, This morning, our text is from Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, and it reads like this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. I'm going to read that one more time, this time from Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message. God claims earth and everything in it. God claims world and all who live on it. He built it on ocean foundations, laid it out on river girders. Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space, where heaven and earth meet. Amen. So before I get into the heart of our message this morning, I wanted to just, I was thinking as we were finishing up communion, that we've been doing this series called The Practices. And sometimes there's this kind of default position that we take as humans where we fall into a trap of doing things and all of a sudden without even realizing it we find ourselves doing things thinking that those things earn us approval. That somehow if we're really good God will love us more, right? The position that we want to take though as those who have been redeemed by grace those who have been bought by Christ and invited to his table, is that we do these practices not to earn God's favor or to somehow become uh, more uh, deserving of his love and grace, but instead we do it out of hearts filled with gratitude for the gift of life that God has given us in Christ. Because it's in that posture that then we can sustain that work, these practices. Because the the fallback is if we start to do these things thinking that we're going to somehow become more worthy or more righteous, the only thing we become is insufferable. And we generally find that we're not able to sustain that effort, right? Right? So ultimately, as we talk about these practices that we've been talking about the last several weeks and in the coming uh, few weeks that as we close out this sermon this month, or this series this month, we want to always remember that position, that we do these practices out of gratitude for what God has done for us. And so this morning, we're going to talk about creation, and as I was thinking about this, I was reminded, and some of you, this will, will date me, but some of those of you who are about my age, and I'm not going to say what that is, um, will remember on Saturday mornings as we watched cartoons, there was this ad I remember that just, it's indelibly imprinted on my memory. And the ad was, uh, it would you would see all this trash and litter along the highway, and then it would kind of, as I remember it, anyways, it would kind of pan out, and you would see this indigenous Native American man standing and watching with a tear running down his face, right? And it always struck me as so that was such a powerful message, right? That that we're not caring for the creation. Now, I wish I could say that in the time since that things had changed so amazingly, but I have to tell you, um, as, as a cyclist, as one who rides around at a, at a somewhat slow pace, I see things, and we still have a lot of work to do, right? I mean, I see as I ride um, and I will say, I don't mean to offend anybody, but I will say, uh, I feel like it's worse here than other places I've ridden. The trash in the, in the ditches, and I mean, it's, um, it's sad, right? And so I'm just reminded of that. The other thing I started thinking about was, as many of you know, we lived for uh, several years in Northern California, in Sonoma County, and we have lived through uh, the wildfires in 2017 uh, we got a call from a friend at 2 2.15 in the morning saying you guys need to get out and we had no idea what was going on and so we woke up we um, started throwing things in the car I went across the street and woke up the neighbors because the emergency call system didn't function the way it was supposed to And as we pulled out of our neighborhood, if we looked up to our right to this ridge, Shiloh Ridge, we could see the fire. And we lived through that week of seeing that fire devastate Santa Rosa. 3,000 homes in Santa Rosa alone destroyed. And just living through that, that sense of, you know, in the descriptions and and hearing people talk about homes weren't burning. They talked about homes popping. So this fire was so fast and so hot that it's not like, oh, your house catches on fire and slowly it's enveloped. No, it's like your house catches on fire and it is gone, right? Then as, then in 2019, same thing, evacuated again. Those two fires came, the first fire came within a mile of our house where we lived. The second fire came within a half a mile of the house where we lived. And then we moved away. But we came back to do our daughter's wedding in 2020 just in time to experience it all again because the fires were burning again. Now, all of this to say, we, and we can look around us, I mean, we've heard the stories in the last several weeks of the wildfires that are already starting. Friends, it is, it's not fire season yet, right? And we, we can bury our heads in the sand and, and think that, well, that is just this fluky thing, or we can recognize that there's something going on, right? The stress of that, which made me think of Paul, The Apostle Paul, who in Romans 8 says that we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, this is something that I didn't learn until I was, I think, in seminary when I first kind of caught this verse. But imagine this. Way back then, the Apostle Paul was saying that even creation itself is groaning, For the restoration that will come when Christ returns. Right? Creation itself is groaning to see God restore it to the beauty, to the wholeness, to the shalom that he intended for it. Paul's argument here is that even creation itself is desiring freedom from the decay and looking ahead toward the new creation. Now, friends, I don't think it is a leap to see that humankind has added to that decay, right? I mean, I don't think that, if all, that any of us, if we sit back and take a really honest look at how we live our lives and the impact that we as, as a species, if you will, have had on creation has added to that decay. This is just one picture that I found of a demonstration of the impact that we have, right? Now, I could have done a whole reel of all kinds of different pictures of different ways that we've impacted the environment, but I don't think I need to do that. Some not-so-fun facts about uh, just one area uh, of impact that we have. I mean, and obviously, as I said, there are many different places we could focus our attention. Deforestation, water conservation, devastating farming practices, carbon emissions, all of that stuff are things that we could look at and talk about. But I want to look at just one simple area this morning, and that is plastic. Here's five depressing facts about plastic. America's demand for bottled water uses more than 17 million barrels of oil annually, enough to fuel 1.3 million cars for a year. That's not including the oil used for transportation. Last year, the average American used 167 disposable water bottles, but only recycled 38. Recent, we learned that Recently, we learned that plastic is no longer being recycled due to China no longer accepting U.S. plastics. Americans used about 50 billion plastic water bottles last year. However, the U.S. recycling rate for plastic is only 9% and declining, which means that over 40 billion water bottles, more than $1 billion worth of plastic, are wasted each year. The recommendation to drink eight glasses of water a day equals about 49 cents per year. That same amount of bottled water is $1,400. And finally, antimony, which is found in PET plastic bottles, in small doses can cause dizziness and depression. In larger doses, it can cause nausea, vomiting, and death. Now, about now, I suspect that maybe somebody here or watching with us online is asking the question, but pastor, what does this have to do with our faith? Well, what it has to do with our faith is this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. Brothers and sisters, we are tenants, not owners. And so how it matters to our faith is quite simply that that we have been given a charge. We've been given care of something. We do not own it. It is not ours. It does not belong to us. And therefore, it is a matter of our faith. Now, one of the things that's interesting is you start talking about the land and the earth. It's um, kind of an interesting piece. If you go back to the Old Testament, a little Old Testament sidebar here. If you go back to the Old Testament, the promise of the land to Israel, right? The promise of the land to Israel, the, the land covenant that God makes with Israel is contingent that covenants always are, right? Covenants are a deal that God makes with us or with the people of Israel. He says, if this, then that, right? Which is dependent on what we do. God's covenant with Israel to have a land depends on how they treat the alien, which means the foreigner or the immigrant, the widow and the orphan in that land, right? So possession of land is not a given, it depends on behavior. And Leviticus actually tells us that if Israel doesn't care for those people, if Israel doesn't do what is right in the eyes of God for the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow, that the land will, and the land—and the language here is graphic, the land will vomit them out. And I wonder, friends, if that doesn't apply to us as well. It may be a stretch, but I wonder if we are not owners but tenants, and God has given us this earth to live on, that if we don't take care of it, it doesn't bite back, right? Now, I'm not saying that's biblical fact. I'm just wondering, but it sure seems like mother earth is not happy, And we recognize that the promise of God to the people of Israel for a land is dependent on their behavior. Now, if what else does it have to do with our faith? Well, we already saw, Tarina did such a great job with that children's sermon that I almost just said, I'll pass and we can just move on. But two creation accounts, right? How many of you know there are two creation accounts in the Bible? I did not know this until I went to seminary. And I went to Old Testament class, and my very first homework assignment from my Old Testament professor was, you, uh, you go home tonight, you read the two creation accounts, and I was like, two creation accounts? Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and you list every difference that you can find between those accounts, right? And so that's what we did. But I want to look at these two accounts because there are uh, a couple of important things that I want to focus on. The first, the account in Genesis 1 tells us that we are, that, the, that God creates the earth, he creates everything that's in it, and then he creates humankind, and he says to them to fill the earth and subdue it. And the word that we use usually to translate that phrase is to have dominion over it. Now, unfortunately, the way that we've loosely interpreted that verse throughout history is that we um, kind of look at it and we've taken it to mean, well, it's ours to do with what we want, let's just use it up, right? And so we, we talk about things like, well, it, you know, and I've actually had conversations with Christians who say, well, it doesn't matter what we do with it because God's going to destroy it at the end anyways. Friends, that's a horrible reading of the book of Revelation. <laughs> because what does the book of Revelation tell us? It tells us that the kingdom of God will come down, right? And God will recreate the earth. Right? So this image of, well, it doesn't matter what we do because it's all going to be destroyed in the end, is just not only poor theology, it's poor stewardship. But this idea of dominion gave, unfortunately, a sense of entitlement. And unfortunately, it's kind of like what we talked about a few weeks back when we start doing theology only after the fall and we forget Genesis 1. Right? Right? In this case, it's we, we stop at Genesis 1 and we don't go to Genesis 2, because the description in Genesis 2 is a little richer. In Genesis 2, it says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, the word here for work is, uh, there's a sense of to plow, to cultivate it, right? It's kind of a gardening term, uh, an agricultural term. That it's to, the idea there would be to make it flourish, right? Interestingly enough, the, the word for work in this passage, to work it and take care of it, it, it also contains the, the notion of skilled labor. The notion of skilled labor. Send, uh, sending forth one ha- one's hand to accomplish a task. Right? So this idea that we're, we're to work the land, not destroy it, not use it up, but to work it. Anybody care to guess what kind of work is often described with this same word? Non-rhetorical question. Give it a shot. Priestly work. Say what? Priestly work. priestly work. Yes, exactly. Priestly work. As it's talked about in the Old Testament this same word is most often used to describe the work of the priests in the temple interesting right gives it a little bit of a different flavor not so much about what we can get out of it but instead what we can offer God with it how we can use it to bring honor and worship to God So we are currently in this series called The Practices, and so what I'm making the case here for is not that we should, you know, just somehow withdraw from our lives and not live, but instead if we can view creation care as a spiritual practice. If we can view how we use our resources and uh, nature and how we care for the earth as part of our spiritual practices, part of an offering to God in thanksgiving to all that he has given to us. So what if we viewed creation care as a spiritual practice, a way to honor God and give thanks for the creation that sustains us with its bounty. Wouldn't that change maybe our attitude toward how we view these issues? You see, friends, as with so many issues these days, we take issues of environment and creation care and all that, and it's about a half a step before we turn it into a political fight. Come on, can I get an amen for that? Please. I mean let's just be honest. But the reality is is that I don't think scripture gives us the option to not engage. Because it's not ours, we don't own it, we simply are stewards of it and from the very beginning God has commanded us to care for it, to work it, and tend it, to nurture it, to make it flourish. And so this morning, as we look at our practices, I want to offer just five simple creation care practices that maybe... Hopefully, for some of you, this encourages you to engage these issues if you haven't. Maybe for some of you, it just gives it a different flavor. But my, what I'm arguing for here, what I'm suggesting that Scripture calls us to is a very active spiritual practice of caring for the gift of creation. So the first is one that you've heard many, many times, all together now, reduce, reuse, recycle right? That one, I think most people, or at least I hope most people nowadays, are at least on some level, you know, cognizant of the fact that we need to reduce, reuse, and recycle. Okay. Second one, consume less. Now, friends, there's a whole nother sermon here. It's, I'm not going to start it, you know, don't be, don't be worried. I'm not going to start it right now. But there's a whole other sermon here. Consume less. We live in a culture that is literally built on consumption. And if you don't think that doesn't color our understanding and the way we live our lives, you're kidding yourself. So we've got some work to do to consume less. What do we really need and, how, and what do we buy and why do we buy it? Right. There's a lot there. The third one. This is one that Gretchen and I just started, and really, you know, I don't. Maybe it's maybe it's old news. I don't know. Um, and we haven't even received them yet. That's how fresh this is. I we discovered this this week as I was working on this message. It's laundry sheets. Okay. It's soap that comes in sheets that you can fold. Right. So this soap apparently comes actually in a, in a little compostable cardboard box, right? So no plastic, lighter, all of these things, which lessens the carbon footprint for creating it, right? It works for high-efficiency uh, washers, which is a thing, and apparently you just fold this little piece of paper up, you put it in that soap dispenser tray, and away you go. Stay posted, I'll let you know if it's, if it's a terrible product, but... But I'm hopeful, because that's a simple way, right? I mean, we have I, I shudder to think how many, especially raising three kids, how many giant jugs of plastic that we have used to you know, haul our laundry detergent around, right? It's a simple thing that we can do that lessens impact, lessens our plastic use. And then the fourth one, as you might guess after my little diatribe on plastic bottles at the beginning, uh, get a water bottle. Reusable water bottle. Stop drinking water out of plastic bottles. I know it's easy, right? But just all of the, the waste that comes from that, right? It's such a simple thing. And it, can, and it makes a difference. And if we approach it from the perspective of, this is a way that I'm caring for the creation that God gave us, right? Right? not to be some eco-warrior or whatever, you know, however you want to spin it, but instead, because I'm grateful for this world that God has given us, which leads us to the last step. And that is this, develop wonder. Friends, I'm convinced that part of the reason that we do such a poor job of caring for creation is because so many of us spend so little time in it. Right? And we just kind of lose sight of the wonder of it. A little harder to do, I will admit, in this area when every time you turn a corner, there she is. Right? But still, you know, when was the last time that you spent time in nature on the coast or on Mount Rainier or up in the rainforest, or wherever it is, and just been stunned by the beauty and the diversity of God's creation. And to soak in that wonder and to be filled with gratitude for it. Now, I recognize that some of, some of you can't maybe get out the way you used to, but the, the beauty is nowadays you can find these amazing Documentaries and nature series on uh, TV that are filmed with in such high definition that it is astounding, and you can be filled with with some of the same wonder towards the diversity and the wonder of God's creation. So I invite you to these practices not to become some self-righteous environmental warrior, not to make a political statement, not any of those things, but instead to behave out of an overflowing gratitude for the beauty of God's creation, for the beauty of the world that he has given us, the earth that sustains us and gives us life. And so, friends, I invite you to these practices and I invite you to think about the wonder of this beautiful creation that God has given us and then invite you to care for it as I think he intended us to from the very beginning. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your creation. We thank you for the wonder of a sea teeming with life of rainforests filled with all kinds of creatures, of mountains and valleys and deserts. God, land that, that produces food that nourishes us, trees that produce oxygen that uh, we breathe, all of the good gifts that you have given to us. God, fill our hearts with gratitude that we might... Not just take these gifts for granted, but that we might join you in caring for your creation until the day comes when you restore it and us to the full shalom that you have promised in Jesus Christ. Amen.